Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Pre-Med Perspectives. Today, Vigi and I are sitting. We're so excited to talk to the face behind the Instagram account, Nicolette.life. I'm sure many of you Many of you have seen it. We're talking to Dr. Finger today, who we know is a resident. So I know everyone must be so um, excited to hear about this, hear about the residency life, and just hear about hear from a real doctor. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Finger, um, how are you doing today? Please, let's get started. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm doing great, and it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so my name is Dr. Nicolette Finger. I'm currently a physical medicine and rehabilitation resident physician um, at UT Health San Antonio in Texas. So um, yeah, I've been here in Texas since high school and I love it. Uh, didn't actually come into medical school knowing I wanted to do PM&R. So um, we'll, we can get into that nitty gritty later. But yeah, I, I love my job and I love what I do and love the people I work with. Mm-hmm. That's really good to hear. So something that we um, really wanted to ask you about, we know that um, on your Instagram too, you mentioned it, that you are uh, proud to be a DO. So we wanted to know what made you uh, pick osteopathic medicine specifically? Yeah. So actually when I started, you know, the whole pre-med process, I didn't know what a DO was. I just thought the MDs were the only types of physicians Um, But then going into application season for medical school, I discovered that, um, you know, one of our best medical, one of the best DO medical schools um, was here. And I didn't even know what that was. So I started looking into it and read a lot about, you know, DO's holistic approach to medicine and to their patients, kind of taking that whole person approach. And then also, you know, started reading about how they do OMM, osteopathic manipulative medicine and help with musculoskeletal disorders and chronic pain, acute pain. You know, there's so much that we can do just with our hands. And so um, being a nutrition major in undergrad, I felt that that really aligned with my values. Um, I had a little bit of difficulty at first uh, just saying, yes, I want to go DO because of the stigma that is against DOs. And so I actually remember my father is like one of those people who you can sit down and chat with and he won't say a word. He'll just let you kind of talk yourself into whatever you were going to do in the first place. But I was speaking with him and I kind of came to this realization saying like, if I don't go to medical school for what I want to do and for my own desires and what I think fits me personally best then why am I even going, right? If I'm going to go for a title for the rest of the public, but I'm not going to going to feed my own desires and my own needs in my career, then I shouldn't even be going to medical school. And so in that moment, I realized that um, I was going to do what was best for me, you know, regardless of public stigma. And I chose to go DO and never looked back. It was the best decision I have ever made. That's really uh, good to hear. And, um, It's really nice to hear that you were also a nutrition major in undergrad. I'm currently majoring in nutrition. So um, now now I feel so special. Three out of the four of the pre-med perspectives are actually (laughs) nutritional science majors. So that's so funny (laughs) that you said that. And um, I'm really glad that you were really happy with your decision. I know that you're mentioning that there can be some stigma. So um, we're really glad that you were able to, you know, kind of get past that and really, you know, promote the field. So I know something that a lot of people have 
kind of worries about when it comes to osteopathic medicine is like the matching process when it comes to matching as a DO. So could you talk about that a little bit? Did you need to take both the Comlex and the USMLE or just kind of um, run through that process with us? Yeah, so um, going into medical school, I honestly didn't even understand the board exam structure. So for anybody who doesn't know, there's three kind of steps or levels that you have to take um, to be a licensed physician. Um, and it just goes in order one, two, three. And usually step one, which is USMLE is taken by MDs or allopathic physicians and Comlex level one and on are taken by osteopathic physicians. But, um, I do feel at this time, it is important for DOs to take USMLE if they're going into a competitive field. And I say that, um, you know, not being super happy with, with that uh, decision, or I guess with the state of things, because I don't feel like we should have to spend the money and we sh I don't feel that we should have to take both exams. The Comlex is exactly like the USMLE. Um, taking both. I know that personally, um, from personal experience that they are exactly the same. The only difference is that the complex exam includes osteopathic principles or OMM. And so that sets it apart, but I still do feel that in order to be competitive enough so that program directors don't question your ability or so that they don't question how intelligent um, us DOs really are, that it's important to take the USMLE. So I personally did take it, take um, step one and step two, in addition to Comlex one and Comlex two. And I felt that that made my application um, more well-rounded so that the um, program directors that were looking at my application felt comfortable that I was, you know, on the same playing field as the MD applicants. That being said, I have co-residents who only took Comlex and they got into the same program I did and they are doing very, very well. Um, and I have people in other, other specialties that I'm friends with who also only took USM or only took Comlex and they're also doing very well. So I think while it can definitely make the interview process and the application process easier, um, it's not necessary, but it is recommended to take both. It's really um, disheartening to hear how DOs still have to prove themselves every day um, in this day and age, but I know we've made so much progress and I know we're definitely going to get past that. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think that cleared up a lot of things for Vidya and I. Mm -hmm. So just a follow-up question I had was now, I know the recent announcement that step one for the USMLE is going pass fail. So in the future years, what is your prediction on how, like how, what osteopathic um, medical students will have to do with the level one being non-pass fail, but step one being pass fail? Yeah, so I think it's going to make it um, a lot harder for DO students, of course, because even DO students who took USMLE step one, sometimes they would only take step one, right? Not take step two, save the money on, on that exam, right? And then just move forward with their complex exams. But now not having a score for USMLE step one, um, more importance is, I feel, going to be put on step two. And um, I also read that you will not be able to take step two without taking step one first. So that kind of hurts DOs as well, 
meaning that they have to go through this pass fail exam that really does nothing for their degree, right? The, the USMLE doesn't uh, give us a license, give us an extra license or, or anything like that to practice medicine. It simply just puts us on an even playing field. And so having to pay, you know, $650 for a pass fail exam, just in order to take a second one um, to prove yourself, I think is, is going to hurt DOs, unfortunately. And, um, but I do think more emphasis will be put on step two. And I, I do think that Comlex will eventually follow suit with making the level one pass fail. Um, I think them falling in suit will definitely probably just be easier for DOs. I didn't realize that's like going to be pretty difficult. You're going to have to do mm -hmm. a lot of planning beforehand, you know, mm -hmm. before you apply for residencies. So now segueing into residency. So you mentioned you're a PM&R resident. Um, why don't you share with us, why did you choose PM&R? What drew you to that field? Yeah. So um, I actually didn't know what PM&R was when I first came to medical school or went to medical school. I actually um, went in wanting to do OB-GYN, but I kind of you know, it just didn't live up to my expectations, I think. And uh, I personally didn't enjoy OBGYN as, as I want, as much as I wanted to. Um, so I started looking into other fields. I had a friend who was going into PM&R and set me up with his mentor and said, why don't you just pick his brain, right? Just go have a meeting with him, maybe shadow him for a day and just see what he does, pick his brain. So I did that. And um, he is my mentor still to this day, Dr. Omar Salad. And he looked at me and said, do a month-long rotation with me and I will change your mind. You will want to be a PM&R physician. And so I said, challenge accepted. And um, I did that rotation with him. I fell in love with the fact that patients would walk into our office with absolutely no hope, right? Maybe they had cancer and now their cancer is cured, but they can't walk. They can't feed themselves. They can't use the bathroom by themselves. They're completely dependent on their wife or their neighbor or their friend. And they have no hope, right? Because everybody else is telling them that they're cured, but they don't feel cured. They still feel extremely dependent, right? And as a human being, our independence is so important in our mental health. And so to have them leave our office with some hope that, wow, maybe, you know, if I, if I take these steps and work with these um, practitioners, these providers, use these adaptive equipment, um, you know, this adapt adaptive equipment that I can become independent, right? I can use the bathroom by myself. I can feed myself. Maybe I only need help with a few things, but I can be mostly independent. And I think giving patients that hope that, nobody else has really given them yet is what swayed me in the direction of um, going into physiatry or, or PM&R. I think it's really nice that you were able to have a mentor in that field who really um, kind of showed you the ropes and, you know, showed you exactly what it is in the field. And it's really cool that you're able to give those patients that extra hope or kind of a little more control over their life. So, um, kind of going with that, could you describe kind of on a day-to-day -day basis, like what exactly do you do with the patients as a PM&R doctor? And just how does that differentiate from what a physical therapist would do? Because I know there's kind of some misunderstanding between those fields. Yeah, definitely. So um, kind of to start off, 
with that question, like what's our day-to-day -day life look like? So just like any other field, it can look pretty, whether you're inpatient, outpatient, or in a subspecialty. So I'll kind of briefly go through a few of those most common roles. So the classic example of a PM&R physician is the inpatient rehabilitation uh, facility. So inpatient rehab. And these patients are patients who have brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, maybe they lost a limb and have, um, you know, an amputated leg or arm. And they had that acute process, which debilitated them pretty quickly. And now they need to go into inpatient rehab. And so in that inpatient rehab, you have physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, respiratory therapists, name, name them, right? You've got all the therapists there helping this patient while the patient is staying there. And that um, PM&R physician is team lead. And so that kind of, in that role, you can see a clear differentiation between the physical therapist and the PM&R physician, though we work very closely together and to be honest, couldn't do each other's jobs without one another, right? But, um, the, you have to remember that a PM&R physician deals with the medical side of things, right? And the, at the end of the day, a PM&R physician is a physician. And so we will give orders, restrictions, and suggestions to physical therapists, to occupational therapists, and all the other people involved in the care. And also we will manage their medical problems. So let's say they are a spinal cord injury patient and they have diabetes, heart failure, and high blood pressure. Well, while they're there working with physical therapy and occupational therapy, they're gonna need to be on, you know, they're gonna need to be titrated up on their medications for heart failure because maybe they're, they don't work as, um, they, they ambulating, right? They're not ambulating or walking as often as they normally do, or, um, they may have like increased swelling because of the acute disease process. And because of that, we have to manage their medication, their heart failure medication, their high blood pressure medication, um, and really titrate those so that they're on an adequate regimen of their medications and also not pushing themselves too hard or too little in therapy. So if you can think of the PM&R physician as kind of team lead and helping and directing um, all of the therapists that work on the team with them. And that's kind of the best way to describe it in inpatient rehab, which is the most common. Now, outside of that, you can have outpatient PM&R and we can do things like general musculoskeletal issues, sports medicine. We will follow up on our patients who were previously in inpatient rehab, see how they're recovering from their stroke, from their spinal cord injury um, or brain injury. We can do injections for pain. So that's another subspecialty of physiatry is pain, uh, pain management. And people can go get epidural injections for low back pain, um, nerve blocks for migraines, knee pain, you name it. So there's really a lot that can be done um, in the field of PM&R. And um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, we could have a whole podcast on all the different subspecialties of PM&R, but it's a pretty amazing field. Thank you so much for clarifying that. That was very valuable to us, and I'm sure our listeners will find that so valuable. I think your point, again, demonstrates how collaborative the health field of healthcare is in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've interviewed 
podiatry students and they talk about how they work every day with orthopedic surgeons and how you just mentioned you work with physical therapists so I think that really highlights that Mm -hmm. for sure and earlier I heard you mention the musculoskeletal system and how you deal with that as a PM&R resident so we know that um, that's very much stressed in osteopathic medical school so I wanted to ask do you use OMM in your daily practice and does being a DO help you with being a PM&R physician or add to your perspective as a physician? Definitely. So um, I have kind of a, a typical example I like to use which with how I use OMM. And um, I first want to point out that OMM can be used, say, as um, what a physician does as their entire practice, right? You can go to an OMM physician who went to residency for OMM, and that's what they do all day, every day. But you can also go to DOs, um, osteopathic physicians that work in all fields, right? Surgery, psychiatry, PM&R, OB-GYN, et cetera. And so I think using OMM kind of looks a little bit different, whether you are using it all day, every day, or you're using it integrated into your current practice. So I would describe myself as using it integrated into my current practice rather than using it all day, every day um, for all problems, right? And so an example I like, like to give is I have patients pretty much all the time currently work when I'm working in um, outpatient orthopedic clinic who will come in with shoulder pain and they will tell me, doc, I can't move my arm at all. I know it's torn. I know I tore a muscle, but we do an MRI and they in fact have not torn any muscle and they are refusing to move their shoulder, right? Well, this can actually prevent us from healing their shoulder if they don't move it. If they don't move it, scar tissue will basically scar down and they'll get something called frozen shoulder and they won't be able to move it in the future. So I have to figure out a way to have them buy into the treatment options that I have available to them, which one of them includes physical therapy. But if I send them to physical therapy like this and they tell the physical therapist, well, I'm not moving my arm, right? Because I know it has to be torn and I can't move it. And I'm just going to hurt it more if I move it. Well, the physical therapist isn't going to be able to do anything and they'll just send them right back, right? I have to get them to comply with the treatment. And so how I do that is I'll perform OMM on their shoulder right there in clinic. And after I do OMM, they're pain-free. Now, maybe that pain-free episode won't last forever. It may only last 24 hours that they're pain-free, but because I did OMM and showed them that they no longer have, right? Even if temporary, there's no longer pain in their shoulders. And I didn't have to give them a medication to do that. Now they trust me, right? They say, oh my goodness, it doesn't hurt. I can move it. I can move my arm in circles, right? I can reach overhead and none of this hurts. And now they're willing to go to physical therapy and work with the physical therapist because they trust me and they trust that I, you know, care about them enough to show them that, to take time out of my day, to lay my hands on their shoulder and, you know, do something right then and there to take their pain away and show them that they do have full function currently. Right. And so just a simple thing like that makes OMM so useful, especially in a field like PM&R. Thank you for um, kind of explaining that as well. It's really nice to hear that you are able to incorporate OMM into your practice in one way. I know some other physicians, but depending on their field, may not use it at all. So I think you have like a really refreshing 
perspective. And I think it's really cool on what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, just to wrap up, we're kind of getting to the end of our podcast here. Um, just if you had one tip to pre-medical or medical students, uh, what would that be? I would say don't compare your journey to anybody else's because whether you take a gap year, take multiple gap years, have a whole entire career before you go into medicine or go directly from undergrad, you are your own person and you're going to get through all of this your own way. And I know um, a lot of the time, my biggest mental health uh, obstacles was my own mind comparing myself to my classmates, right? I've always been that person that had to study twice as hard to get the same grade as the guy next to me, but that only has made me a better physician. And so don't let those things discourage you and don't compare yourself. Thank you for that advice. I think that's um, a really important thing to keep in mind. It can get you know, kind of difficult to, you know, keep comparing yourself to other toxic, people. Yeah, environment. Oh, for sure. So I think that is a really important thing to um, keep in mind. So again, Dr. Finger, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, come and talk to us. It was really um, helpful to us and I'm sure to all of our listeners to hear what you do. Again, everyone make sure to follow at nicolette.life to see more of Dr. Finger's posts. She posts a lot about lifestyle and motivation and things like that. And so she has a lot of great content. And as always, uh, we'll see you next week at the premed.perspectives. Okay.